So I hope that when you leave here today, it's the same thing I always hope anytime I speak or preach, is that you leave saying, wow, I serve a great God. I am so thankful that this God is my God. And I'm enthusiastic about serving Him. May God make it so in our lives. I'm Kyle Grant, and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry. And I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us, and I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. If I told you that today our sermon will involve Piscatology, would you know what I was going to preach on? Anybody? Oh, well, I don't know if I want you to answer that, actually. Uh, Piscatology is the study of fish or fishing. And uh, when uh, last night I found out that I'd be preaching today, um, Heidi was checking with me, is the scripture okay? And and all of this, and she was talking about the, the talents, and it was in the chapter with the sheep and the goats. And so I texted her back, well, I'm not doing sheep or goats, we're doing fish. So today we are going to talk about, actually not fish in general, but just one fish. And seek to learn some lessons from this one fish in the Bible. Now, you can think of a fish... Go ahead and think of one, and we'll see if you're right about which fish. You know, I, you might say, oh yeah, Jonah. No, we're not, we're not talking about that one uh, this morning. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 17, and you, you should get your Bibles out and follow along because I got four things I want to talk about this morning, and each of them, we're going to go to a different Bible verse as well. So you'll be, I have to turn the pages and follow along. So in Matthew 17, the Lord deals with a uh, question that comes up while he is staying in or near Peter's house in Capernaum. And in verse 24, the situation is introduced. So... I'm going to read 24 to 27 this morning, Matthew 17, 24 to 27. When they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? And it was an accusation, because if the Lord didn't pay tribute, then he would not be doing what was expected of him in his culture, in his time. And this is the temple tax here, it's not to Rome. It's the money that's going to the, the temple. And so the question is asked, and the people who ask it are being kind of snide because they expect a negative answer here. They say, your master doesn't pay tribute, does he? And so they are going to attack Peter with that statement. 
And Peter says, yes. Now, I'm not sure if Peter knew what he was talking about here. I, I'm really not. But he deflects the question, and he says, yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus, my King James Bible says, prevented. It means he got in front of the situation before Peter could even ask him about it. Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? And obviously, they're not going to tax their own kids. And Peter correctly answers, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Um, there was, of course, no obligation for Christ to pay a temple tax of all things. Yeah, he was the one that the worship was directed to in the temple, though the Jews didn't even realize it for the most part. So the children are free. Verse 27, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. And by the way, there's a good guide for behavior, isn't it? Don't go around demanding your rights all the time. Remember that you are part of something bigger than yourself, in fact, so much bigger than yourself, that you as an individual with rights hardly matters. Hardly matter, sorry. Subject verb agreement error, my English teacher would get after me. You as a person with rights hardly matter. What matters is what kind of a testimony do you have? What will your actions do to reflect on Jesus Christ? Christ even himself said, Lest we should offend them or cause them to stumble, go thou to the sea and cast a hook. Right now Peter's ears just perk up. Wow, neat. Go thou to the sea, cast a hook, and take the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth... Thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for, thee, for me and thee. Kind of an interesting thing that the Lord does here, right? He sends Peter off, rod and reel in hand. I don't know if it was one of those Zebcos or not. You know, the 202, the 404, the 808. The 808's not bad. But, you know, some of these cheap reels I get irritated at. I like spin casters. And who knows what Peter had. He might have had a fancy fly rod made out of bamboo, imported all the way from the Orient. But the Lord says, you take your fishing equipment, you go down, you bait up a hook, you throw it in, and the first fish that comes up, pry its mouth open, so it couldn't have had really bad teeth. You know, it wasn't a piranha. It wasn't a northern pike. Uh, it, it wasn't something that could really chomp on you. Peter's, you know, probably a largemouth bass. And he opens his mouth, and there's the money inside the fish. And I just want to look at this verse and do a little exercise this morning. What can we learn from this verse about our God? Do you know that there's a whole bunch of things in the Bible 
that that's a, a very good way to study those things in the Bible. You know, if you go to the Old Testament and you read that the Jews were not allowed to mix two kinds of cloth in their garment, you do not have to go to your closet, look at the little tag and throw away everything that's so many percent this and so many percent this. Say, I read it in the Word. I'm throwing all these clothes away and going to go out and buy all cotton clothing. Amen. You don't have to do that. My tie says 100% silk, but I bet it's not. You know? Uh, so you read the prohibition about mixing two kinds of fabric in the same garment in the Old Testament. It's a really good idea to say, what does this teach me about God? And study scripture by asking yourself that question. We're not there today. We have a fish with a coin in its mouth. And so I want you to think with me about what this fish teaches you about God. We can't just go off half-cocked, you know, and I announced to my wife after church today, Honey, the taxes are due in November. I'm going to fish the entire last week of October in hoping of getting one. And I could, you know, it's possible one coin if it was an American double eagle gold $20 gold piece of a certain year, I could pay all my taxes with just that one coin. I said, I'm going to fish until I find that fish. It's the biblical thing to do. You know, and, and I've heard messages preached that way in churches. So you can't do that. Jump in there with both feet and, and decide, I'm quitting my job and I'm going fishing. Don't worry, dear. There'll be enough money in the mouths of these fish to buy all the groceries we want. You can't do that. But there's some interesting things we find out about our Lord in this verse. And that's my goal, is to talk about four things about the Lord. We would have slides and all this up here. I don't know if I'd have them alliterated like Pastor Kyle does, but we would have slides up here, except I found this out that I'm preaching at about 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon. So no slides for you. You're going to have to just pay attention. If you want to write these things on that last page of your bulletin where it says sermon notes, you can do that. Um, and Pastor Brandon has the service tonight. I guess, you know, last week when Pastor Kyle was gone, he preached in the morning, I spoke in the evening, and tonight we're going to flip, and he's going to have this evening uh, here. Um, I, I, will, I am so tempted to ask him, does he know what he's speaking on? But I'm not going to do that. Okay, and so uh, I'm going to be good to him and, and, and not ask him that question tonight, or to right now from the pulpit. Um, so let's start with one thing you can learn about your Lord from this verse with a fish. We're going to start with the fact that our Lord is omniscient. He knows everything. He has to, from the interior of the house he's in, be able to see through the outside to the Sea of Galilee, to look in the water, to see through the water, to look at the fish that are in the Sea of Galilee, to look at all the individual fish, and see a fish that's got a coin in his mouth. 
And that's not all. He names the coin. He says it's a stater. The Lord sees through and knows where the fish is. He knows where Peter is going to choose to go fish. He knows what Peter is going to choose for bait. Because you don't use the same kind of bait for every fish. He knows how good Peter is going to be casting the line. Because there'd be a big difference whether you threw that line 30 feet out into the water or 130 feet. The Lord knows how far Peter can throw. The Lord knows how patient Peter's going to be standing there fishing. Is he going to just let it sink to the bottom or is he going to jerk it a little bit and try to provide a little action and entice this fish or that fish? And the Lord knows exactly which fish has the coin, where the fish is, where Peter's going to go, and he knows which coin is in the fish's mouth. And it turns out that the temple tax was half a stater or two shekels. The stater was four uh, shekels, just enough for thee and for me. The exact coin that was needed to pay the taxes. The Lord knows all of those things. Isn't that amazing? We serve a God who knows everything. But, if that's true, and the Lord knows where this piece of money is, I think we can apply and say, the Lord knows about your pieces of money. Doesn't he? The Lord knows how much money you have. The Lord knows how much money I have. The Lord knows how much you lost last year in the stock market. The Lord knows how you got your money. Do you know that the Lord knows what you do with your money? The Lord knows how you spend your money. The Lord knows whether you're using it for legitimate purposes, enjoying the life he gave us, providing for the needs that he has put on your heart. That's all good. Or the Lord knows whether you're selfish and you're hoarding it and you are not doing with your money. And we can tie this into the scripture this morning, the, the parable of the talents. If you're not using your money for what he told you to do with it. He knows everything about it. He knows what you should give to the missionary Christmas offering. And he knows whether you've done it. He knows what you should give to your church. And he knows if you've done it. He knows if when a need was presented by some missionary or somebody who's visited our church and he is Holy Spirit burdened your heart for that need, he knows whether you listened when the Holy Spirit says that and whether you gave what you thought about giving and what he burdened your heart to give. He knows all of that. You say, but I don't see him around here. It doesn't matter. He can see the fish from clear up at Peter's house. And he knows what's in the fish's mouth. 
Neither is there any creature. Hebrews 4.13. Everybody knows Hebrews 4.12, right? The word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The next verse says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I remember a song, and it's been a long time ago, and probably there's not five people in here who've heard it. I cannot hide from God, no matter how I try. Though mountains cover me, I'll not escape his eye. It's, it's from Psalm 139. So I'd like you to turn there, please, to Psalm 139. Let's look at some verses here. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but start at verse 10. He's talking about dwelling in the uttermost parts of the sea, and he says, if I do that, verse 10, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Now this is a legitimate thing that we can talk about with our God, with our Lord, from the verse with the fish. God knows everything. God knows me. God knows what I say, and God knows what's in my heart, and God knows if I'm telling the truth, and God knows if my money is being used for the correct purposes, and God knows my attitude when I do something. When I was a kid, I wasn't all that good at hiding my attitude. You know, if I had to do a job, I'll do it. I obeyed, but I was stomping my feet the whole way, carrying the trash out. You know, and I wasn't a happy camper, and I'd drag my feet and kick up dust and dump the trash in one Kleenex and fall, and I wouldn't pick it up in the barrel, you know, to burn it. I'd stomp around, and my parents would see that. And so, Kevin, did you do what I told you to? Yes, I did. Well, you had a lousy attitude. You get a whipping. So I got a whipping. Because it's not enough to do what God wants. You have to do it with the right attitude. And God knows all of that. I cannot hide from thee, dear Lord. Psalm 139 tells us that. And the fish tells us that. Number two. We can learn about our God that he is in charge. He is sovereign. Not only is he omniscient, he knows everything, but he is sovereign king whose orders are obeyed. Whatever God says goes. I want you to turn with me back to Exodus 11. Exodus 11.
it's almost time for the Jews to exit Egypt. And Moses is warning Pharaoh about the death of the firstborn. And there's just an interesting comment here. I'm not going to give you an exposition of this verse by any means, but I want you to see one interesting comment. Look at verse 6. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it anymore. But, all right, so there's all this noise and all this cry and all this suffering in Egypt if Pharaoh is not stubborn any longer. Verse 7. But against the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast. Now, in order for that to be true at my house, God would have to command that himself. I have a miniature schnauzer. Yeah, that's right. Whoever said that? Yeah. If you come to my house, your arrival will not go unnoticed. It just goes on and on and on. Princeton, be quiet. Princeton. And then if he knows you, when you come to the door, it changes. The barking changes from... He gets all high-pitched and he jumps up and down and his tail's going 90 mile an hour and he's all happy. But one thing that is certainly not true, even if we get out the... The air duster. You know what that is? The, the, the spray can that you dust off your computer keyboard with? We found that's a good dog disciplinary tool. You just, psh, right in the face. <laughs> they hate that. Okay? But even if we get out the air duster, what he'll do is run away and keep... <laughs> and God is able to tell Pharaoh here... Not a dog is going to bark at the children of Israel. That's sovereignty. I don't even know if they had miniature schnauzers back in Egypt. You know, when I went to India, all the dogs are the same in India. Except rich people have fancy dogs in the cities. But when you get out in the country, every dog looks the same. You know how they have these charts on the breeds of dogs in vets' offices? I've seen them before. And they have the very first one up there, and all it says is dog. They don't have all the other breeds. And then from dog comes this and this. And then, you know, in the history of breeding dogs, you know, they take dogs with certain characteristics and they try to breed for those characteristics. Well, I have a miniature schnauzer who looks nothing like dog. But my guess is in Egypt, almost all of them looked like dog at the very top of the chart. And in India, they all look the same. I don't know how anybody tells their dog from any other dog. All the dogs are the same. And they bark. That's what dogs do. But God says, I'm telling you, not a dog is going to bark against the children of Israel. They're going to walk out with their animals. They're going to walk right by your dogs, and those dogs are going to be quiet. 
Now, I realize that might be a little bit of a metaphor, like nobody's going to resist them, but it, I think that happened just like God said, because God's in charge of the animals. Remember the ravens with Elijah? God told them to feed Elijah. They brought him his food. Morning and evening. I always thought, and I heard it preached a long time ago, the guy couldn't prove it, of course. But I always thought how nice it would be if they stole him from Ahab's table. They just flew in the window, stole the food, and there it went with the best ribeye in the place. You know, there goes an entire plate of carrots, and somehow that raven's able to carry it in his beak. You know, there goes, and I don't know if that's true or not, but I know the ravens did bring Elijah food. And you know why they did it? Because God says, I have commanded the ravens to feed you. God can order the birds to do what he wants them to do. I can't even make my schnauzer stop barking. But God could. Remember the the fish that we casually mentioned earlier? God prepared a great fish. Now, if it was a great fish, even in that kind of climate, it took a long time for it to become a great fish. So probably years and maybe decades before Jonah ever said no to God, God knew, remember his omniscience? That Jonah was going to do that. And he was going to get on a ship to go to Tarshish and run away from God. But God had prepared a great fish. Now, God had to do something really special. Because you're not going to survive in a fish's stomach unless it's suited to living. And I don't know if there were lamps down there. I don't know if there were couches I don't know what that fish had swallowed before, maybe a table and chairs. But Jonah was in that stomach for all this time. And God told the fish where Jonah was going to get thrown out of the boat. And God showed the fish where to spit him back up. God was in charge of the fish. God ordered a donkey to talk. And when he talked, he made perfectly good sense. He said to Balaam, I've served you all these years. I haven't done anything to hurt you. What are you kicking me for? Why are you beating me? Very logical donkey. When God gave him a chance to speak, he used it to the fullest extent. And then the most amazing thing in the story is Balaam talks back to it. He says, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he starts pointing stuff out to the donkey. And the donkey wins the argument. See, those things don't happen. Let's go back to our fish now in Matthew 17. Unless the God who has never given the donkey a voice is in charge. And can, by his simple instruction, order the donkey to speak and order the fish to swallow Jonah and order the fish where to spit him out and tell this fish where to swim 
where some poor guy lost his stator and it fell in the water. I, I distinctly remember, I know right where it is today if I wanted to go to the trouble to get it. I was fishing once at Bob Dylan, not the singer, but the guy that was in my church, at his farm pond, and I went back to cast, and I had just gotten my hand all wet, and I went, and the whole rod, reel, and everything went flying out into the pond, splooshed down, and went down to the bottom. And it wasn't a cheap reel either. So, I know where that is today. But God knew where this person had lost that coin. And God ordered the fish to put it in his mouth and eat it. And unless it happened that he caught it on the way down, it was silver, not gold. So it's going to tarnish. Now when it's bright and shiny, the fish would say, ooh, pretty. Because that's what he does when I use a spoon or a spinnerbait. Oh, look at the pretty thing. And then the fish goes up, hits it, and then the fish is my supper. And I get to keep him. But God ordered this fish to go to that place to scoop that coin up from the bottom and then keep it in his mouth and not spit it out. And the fish obeyed. God is in charge. Then, when Peter baits the hook up and throws it in, this fish is first to the hook. Can you imagine how many fish out there, because Peter was a fisherman, right? Can you imagine how many fish thought, man, that'd be great. I'd love to eat that. And they're all coming in a big cloud right for the bait. And this fish gets there first and is able, even though he's got a big silver coin in his mouth, to open his mouth and bite that hook. God is in charge, folks. Christ orders it and it's done. And do you think even for a minute that he can't solve whatever problem you're facing in your life? He can send this fish to the exact spot that Peter is going to go and have him hit that hook first. So that's thing number two that we have to think about when we read the fish verse, that God is sovereign. In addition, number three, I think that we can say that God is kind and provides for his own. Um, let's go to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. We'll look at this verse, then talk about God's provision for us. Our Heavenly Father, who knows what we have need of before we ask him who loves us and knows how to give good things to his children. Psalm 34. We would have done this on a Wednesday night, what, five or six years ago. So, Psalm 34. Um, 
Look at verse 9. And we could, there are other verses up here. Verse 6 is like that. The poor man cried. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. God provided for him. But look at verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. If you'll just follow the Lord, God's going to take care of your needs. Isn't that what he promises in the New Testament? He's going to take care of you. He's going to do that. Verse 10, the young lions lack and suffer hunger. And that's true. Mainly because their parents aren't very nice to them. I guess that's why they turn, grow up to be grumpy and want to eat people. But the young lions lack it. When the lions make a kill, the females go first, the male goes second, and if they bother him, he'll kill them. His own offspring. But it says the young lions lack and suffer hunger, even though they're the kings of beasts and they can take and kill almost anything. They got their hands full with a buffalo, but they can even do that. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Can God meet your needs? Well, not only can he, but that's what he wants to do. So he knows what you need, right? He's omniscient. He has the ability to meet your needs because he's sovereign. And he has the heart to do it because he is compassionate and he desires to give you what you need. Now, a lot of times he understands what you need a whole lot better than you do. But he can meet your need. And in the New Testament, back to our fish verse, he met the need. And not only did he meet it in a general way, he met the need with the very coin that Peter wanted to pay for two people's temple tax. A stater. Now, a guy that would lose that might lose something else. Maybe a ship sank and there were money pieces on board the ship. Maybe there was a treasure hoard and God sent him down there. Shekel, 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 shekel. Uh, shekel. Nope, stater. He sucks that one up. He checks the date. The image of Caesar, you know, yep, this is the right coin. Silver, yep, tastes like silver. He keeps that in his mouth. And God has the very thing that Peter needs to meet this need because Peter has stood up for him and said, yes, he pays his tax. You're wrong to accuse him of not paying his tax. And God meets his need. Don't doubt for a second that God can meet your need. And you know how you doubt and prove to God that you doubt? You sit around worrying. That's how, to, how you prove to God you don't believe Him. Oh, what if this? What if that? What if the next thing? Oh my, I, just, I don't see where that's going to come from. I'm sorry, I, just, I don't know how all this is going to work out. And when you do that, what you're saying to God is you're not big enough to meet my need. You're not wise enough. You're not in charge enough. And I just don't trust you. 
Therefore, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or wherewithal shall you be clothed. Your heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of before you ask him. Last thing. What else can we learn about God from this fish? Well, sometimes the Lord does things immediately. In other words, without any mediation, without secondary work, cause, just by himself. That would be, for instance, when he fed the 5,000. It was a creative act. He did it immediately. But most of the time when God works, God works immediately. And this is one of those cases. Christ has seen the fish. Christ knows where the coin is. Christ knows where Peter's going to go fish. Christ knows which coin is needed. And the fish goes and gets it because he's sovereign. But Peter still has to get his fishing tackle. He has to get his bait. He has to go to the spot. He has to throw the line in, and when the fish bites, he can't horse him. He's got to get the drag set right. I know I'm being anachronistic, okay, but I'm doing it on purpose. He has to have the drag set right on his reel. He has to know how to land that fish. And he has to do it in such a way that the fish won't open his mouth and have the coin drop out. Peter has to do all of these things. There are things in Peter's provision that God does. And then there are things that Peter has to do. And this is how God normally works. And I, had some, I heard somebody say a long time ago, pray as if it all depended on God and work as if it all depends on you. And that's pretty sound advice and defensible theologically. Don't pray and ask God to do something and then sit back and do nothing. Put some feet to your prayers. God has a part in your provision, but God often will not do all of it just to see if you're a lazy bum. God gives you something to do. And you have to do it. Now, God suited what Peter had to do precisely to what Peter was good at. Do you see that? God gave him a job to do. And there was no trial or temptation to Peter, but such as he was able. And God provided for him so that he could bear the difficulties in life. It was well suited to a fisherman to tell him to go fish. God didn't tell him to go find silkworms and to have them make silk thread and you weave the silk thread and, and make silk and then you take your silk and your textiles back and you make uh, a hanging for the wall and where do you go to hang it on the wall? Right there at the bottom. Boy, where you hang it up, there's going to be a coin. God didn't tell him that. Peter was a fisherman. So God had him do what a fisherman knew how to do. And when God asks you to do something, he will suit it to your ability. And he expects you to do it. So, 
Though I know that I will never take credit for anything God does through me. Because he's doing it. Yet I'm still going to do my part. One last scripture, Philippians 2. Philippians 2. And the reason why I'm returning to these scriptures is so you know I'm not just sucking these things out of my thumb. It's in the Bible. I had this lady at my church in central Indiana who always used to say, it's in there somewhere. It's there in Philusians. So, you know, it's in the Bible. But look at verse 12 of Philippians 2. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But I'm really glad the next verse is there. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Don't ever forget that God is the start of everything. God is in me and he gives me not just the command to do something, but he works on my will. God works in me to will to do it. God makes me want to do it. And then God helps me to do it. At the same time, God expects me to do it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So in this verse, you can look at this and say, what can I learn about God from this verse? And you can learn that he is omniscient. Just one of the most unusual things in the whole New Testament, this story about the fish. Makes, makes me kind of giggle. I think it's pretty neat. You can also learn that he's sovereign. Because he can order the fish to do this very thing. You can learn that he is kind because he provides for his own. And you can learn about his methods as well and learn that God not only will help in the doing of everything and provide for you, but he expects you to do stuff as well. You can't just pray and sit back and say, I'm waiting. The Lord hasn't answered my prayer yet. I hope this rocking chair doesn't wear out before he finally does. If you pray for the missionary, say, Lord, provide the needs of this missionary. Well, the Lord says, open your wallet and give to him. And the Lord answers your prayer by changing your heart and making you do something in his service. So I hope that when you leave here today, it's the same thing I always hope anytime I speak or preach is that you leave saying, wow, I serve a great God. I am so thankful that this God is my God and I'm enthusiastic about serving him. May God make it so in our lives.